Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Steve O'Dell, founder of Tenzo Tea, high-quality Japanese matcha. Steve and his co-founder, Robbie, attended UCLA, where they both played on the men's volleyball team. After getting tired from crashing from an unhealthy caffeine intake, they created Tenzo, matcha with clean, green caffeine. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Steve O'Dell of Tenzo. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Of course. So I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So I was from Rochester, New York, um, which is a smaller city, you know, kind of close to the Canadian border on Lake Ontario in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And um, my childhood was pretty interesting. So I'm the youngest of five boys. Okay. And the, the closest older brother is 10 years away. So I was a, a bit younger and you know, it was weird because they were always teaching me things that, you know, were for much older kids. And, you know, I would take those back to school and for good or bad, you know. Yeah. And um, but I learned a lot and um, it's really helpful. And they were all athletes, too. So that was my childhood was, you know, primarily focused on just trying to be a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, that brought me to UCLA. Awesome. So growing up, did you have an entrepreneurship mindset, say sell any products or a lemonade stand or anything like that? Yeah, well, it was uh, shoveling snow and mowing lawns yeah. um, for me. But yeah, no, I've, I've been doing that since I was a young kid and I was always making money in high school to pay for different things and to be able to like go out to eat and all that stuff. Totally. So I, I think in the, you know, that's really stayed with me too, but you got to get a good sense of how to make money. Absolutely. So I saw you went on to UCLA in 2012. Uh, what did you study there? Technically, I was a history major, okay. um, but I also was on the men's volleyball team. And so I um, just tried to do as little schoolwork as possible. <laughs> um, was that on scholarship, volleyball? Yeah, on scholarship. And, you know, I was, I was primarily focused on playing volleyball for the first few years. And then UCLA has got a you know, the culture is very inspiring and optimistic. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's when I kind of fell in love with entrepreneurship. Awesome. What would you say your overall experience was like with your time at UCLA? <clears throat> I think it was well used time. Um, I did a lot of kind of weird things and I was, I never really thought of myself as just an athlete. Yeah. Especially at UCLA, like I started to move away from that mindset. And so, like I wrote for school and newspaper, I would hang out with the kids in Greek life and in student government. You know, like I pitched the president of the the undergraduate president of the school and, you know, created a position so I could work and navigate between athletes and the student, the normal student body. And, um, 
And I did like weird projects like I would, cause like at UCLA the, to give a little background, mm-hmm. all the athletes there are typically like some of the best play, the best athletes from wherever they're from. And yeah. so they're all like state champions and they have all these records and things like that. And, you know, a lot of kids better than me go on to play professionally. And um, so I thought when I was at school, like if we are really good athletes and like who are the other kids at school and like, are there some of the smartest engineers in the country here? Are there, you know, are the kids that are in student government going to be senators or maybe the president one day? Yeah. And so I had those kind of thoughts and I just made it a point to like try and meet all the best, smartest, you know, most talented kids in college. And that was um, a really good decision. And, you know, a lot of those kids are actually like super successful adults right now. So mm-hmm. really helped build up a super strong network. Awesome. I saw you ended up actually uh, dropping out. Um, if you're okay sharing this, what year was this in? And was this due to creating Tenzo at the time? Yeah, so this is my senior year. Okay. And um, prior to dropping out, I had created, you know, one really small company with my cousins in Rochester. And I was over the summer between my junior and senior year. And, you know, we made like 20K in I think like six weeks. And so that was way more money than I'd ever made in my life. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I went back to school and <laughs> I was working on a few things and <clears throat> one of them failed miserably. But, um, you know, I just, I kept learning and meeting new people and all this stuff. And then eventually one day I had, you know, five coffees and, um, I felt terrible, you know, like super anxious and jittery and mm-hmm. yeah, just my stomach hurt super bad, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I just Googled what's the healthiest form of energy and, um, and I found matcha and then um, I showed it to my, like my best friend who is now my co-founder, Robbie. And um, yeah, then that was kind of it. You know, we, that, uh, yeah. So to go back to your question, you know, dropping out is a major part in, in the Tenzo story for sure. Um, so confidence level um, at the time of dropping out and transitioning into Tenzo, where were you at? in the Tenzo process when you dropped out? Cause you, you must've been confident that this is going to pay off at that time. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was less confident in Tenzo, but yeah. um, I was really confident in myself. And there's a really good expression for entrepreneurship, which is like, <clears throat> you need to burn the bridges. Yeah. You know, and so I wanted to do that. And I had a pretty good support network and if something didn't happen, you know, I could always go back to school or figure it out, but mm-hmm. I really just bet on myself that I'd be able to figure it out before I would be able to fail. And, and I also really believe in the quote, well, that the quote that says the only way to fail is just to quit. Yeah. And that's especially true in entrepreneurship. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Steve's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Momeni Rugs, affordable, stylish rugs to reimagine any room in your home. My personal favorite is their Smith collection hand-tufted of durable wool and soft synthetic blends in India, with design inspiration around a new take on Southeast patterns and palettes. This rug is bound to make for a talking point in any home. Make sure to check out Momeni Rugs for yourself at momeni.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. When you and your co-founder began to uh, look up matcha, what did kind of your first prototyping look like and testing of Korean Tenzo? Oh man, super embarrassing stuff. <laughs> so what we did to start was it was as simple as we typed in Google where to buy matcha in bulk mm-hmm. and then made a spreadsheet 
you know, emailed the hundred, the first hundred results from like page one to 10 and, um, 90% of them didn't get back to us. And so this one company that did though was called lifetime tea out of Arizona. Okay. And I still remember them very well. And, um, what happened was, you know, we, we go in this conversation they send samples, we try them out and, um, you know, they were good. And from there we, and they could do everything, you know, so they were buying the matcha. They were like a, a distributor, let's say. Okay. So they would buy the matcha from a company in Japan and then they would put it in these little brown bags, like stand up pouches, mm-hmm. you know, and we made a sticker and they'd slap them on there. And like Rob and I designed mainly Rob actually at this point designed the stickers and, you know, it was pretty simple and we bought a hundred units. It was like, you know, only like four or 500 bucks to get started. Wow. So eventually I saw that you guys went on to uh, go to Japan and actually find the matcha that is sourced for Tenzo today. Um, was this through that previous company that you were kind of working with or how did you dis- discover this? <clears throat> yeah. So great question. Well, we learned, you know, like eventually what a distributor and private label company was. Yeah. And so that is, you know, for everyone listening, that's starting a food company. That's a fine way to start, but you know, eventually you're going to need to get better margins and you want to really differentiate through supply and make your product super unique. Mm-hmm. So we went to Japan, went to Japan to find alternative suppliers. And um, so, yeah, we, we, you know, toured the country, met with a ton of different matcha companies and, um, Coincidentally, it was the last day of like a 15 day trip. We were in um, the Kyoto train station and I Googled like tea shops nearby. And then we went to one and long story short is, you know, we met a supplier that no one else uses and they have never made matcha before us. And so we started working with them and um you know that relationship has been the key differentiator in all of ten zones it's the reason why our matcha really sticks out and is noticeable and better than everyone else so what were they before then prior to that if they weren't making matcha at this time um they were a a green tea maker so they made different types of traditionally like steeped green tea or things that you see in the bag interesting if you can explain kind of to the listeners uh how is matcha made after the leaves are chosen then from uh where you source yeah so matcha is literally a powdered form of green tea and it's differentiated in a few different ways so one is that it's shade grown for the last like roughly 20 days depending on you know the weather that year and how the harvest is so it's shade grown for the last 20 days before it's harvested you know which makes the plant's immune system a lot stronger there's a lot more nutrients than traditional green tea and it goes through like a and also one more important thing is that with high quality mantra like Tenzo, only a, a certain leaf is picked. So they don't harvest the entire tea bush. They'll harvest just the top few leaves of it. And so if those leaves are picked, then it goes through like a very simple refining process. It's steamed and the stems and veins are cut out of the leaves. And then it's stone ground into a powder. And it's much, it's different than traditional green tea because you're not steeping it in a bag. Mm-hmm. You're actually mixing the matcha with water or milk and then like consuming the full tea leaf, you know, 100% of it in the drink. So that provides a lot more nutrients. And so matcha is super healthy. 
It's got the highest amount of antioxidants per gram with any edible food or beverage on the planet. And then it also has caffeine content that's more comparable to a cup of coffee rather than, you know, like 10 milligrams. That's typically a normal green tea. Got it. So you're building this relationship in Japan. And um, once you built that, how did you then arrange uh, the partnership with the people who were sourcing the leaves at the time? And what did that look like coming back to the States and that partnership uh, crossing over? Yeah, so that took a while, you know, and I'm saying like these things, like we know we've had a short conversation thus far, but it took, you know, months. Yeah. So what we did was we actually met him in Vegas at the World Tea Expo, not on the on the floor. And, you know, like we met at a table in like a different conference hall that was like no one knew about. And, you know, we agreed to make a secret partnership um, to take on the matcha market. Wow. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was, you know, a really crazy experience. Um, we literally we like had no money at this time. So we like, drove to Vegas met him for like 20 minutes and just drove it back. And um, yeah, then we went through the whole process of like, you know, we made a bunch of different matcha blends with him and made packaging and, you know, then we just started selling. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's that simple, I guess you could say, but you know, we had to figure out how to import the product, um, which as a food product is pretty difficult. Luckily it's just green tea, so it's super healthy and good, you know, not too many questions there. Yeah, but there's a whole onslaught of paperwork and contracts, and you know you need to figure out customs work and all and all that stuff. So at the time of launch, then um, being so kind of early out of college, did you acquire any funding for uh, production? Well, in the beginning, it was just like you know we buy a hundred units from a guy in Arizona, we sell them, and you know we five x our money, and then we buy five hundred units, and then a thousand. And that was pretty straightforward, but it really got hard when we needed to, to buy like $10,000 worth of product. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to pay for it before it, it left Japan. And then, you know, it takes a while to get here and then it takes a bit longer to sell it. So you don't recoup your cash that fast. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the first fundraising experience, you know, I was this total noob, um, <laughs> fundraising the first time is like so hard. So I had no idea what I was doing. I was talking with Rob and I was like, yeah, let me, you know, I'll call my uncle and, you know, maybe we can get $10,000 from him. So I called my uncle and he was like, no, I'm not giving you $10,000. You know, you're just dropped out of college. Like, you know, so, um, yeah. And the business had like, you know, no profit, like any money we were making, we just plow it right back into basically, you know, like our rent, which was super cheap at the time. And then, you know, more inventory or maybe a little bit of marketing and things like that. Got it. Uh, but then from there we did, you know, I learned the ropes and learned how to make, you know, P&Ls and forecasting and talking to investors and how to structure deals. And yeah, we've, we've raised about $2 million up to this point. Um, but yeah, it, just, it took a long time. For sure. At launch then, um, I'm not aware of how competitive this kind of category is, but what was Tenza's stance to differentiate from your competitors at that time? Yeah, so it, it's a little bit, you know, if you think about food and beverage companies like whiskey or, you know, a category that has a lot of competition, a lot of it is the brand. And then a lot of it is like the uniqueness of the product. Mm -hmm. And so with matcha, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to tell the difference between high quality matcha and low quality matcha. 
and you know so our pitch was like you know we have really really high quality matcha best in the world for the price um yeah and then you know over time making the brand better and better and better so nothing super complex you know it's not like we're a tech software or anything like that you know that has like a very specific feature set or something like that for sure got it um what were your main forms of marketing uh, to attract new customers at the time then. So Matcha was existing at this time, a new brand comes in. How were you drawing in those new potential customers? Yeah, so in the early days, to give a little background too, like we were selling some D to C and then we also started selling um, into cafes. Okay. And there wasn't, Matcha wasn't in cafes at all, um, especially where we were in, we were in Long Beach in LA at this time. And um, yeah, so like we just would go out on the weekends, you know, and we'd go to a cafe and we'd set up a table and we'd make matcha for everybody that came in. And, you know, if, they, if those people liked it, then they could go to the counter and we'd work out a deal with the owner where they would, you know, make a matcha for them on the spot. And if that first day would go well, you know, the owner would buy the product and put it on the menu. So, you know, we were hustling hard, man, like yeah. all over Long Beach and SoCal just demoing, you know, sometimes for like two hour, three hours, you know, at one place on a Saturday. And then we hit the afternoon wave at another coffee shop. We would do that every Saturday and Sunday for like two years. And what that did was it generated a lot of trial that built consumer habits and it helped us grow our D2C brand as well. Um, and then on the direct to consumer side, it, it took us a while to like really nail this, but you know, in the beginning we would do a little bit of Instagram, a little bit of Facebook, a little bit of SEO and mm-hmm. they all worked, you know, moderately well. But, you know, once we really figured out how to dial in, you know, a Facebook funnel, um, it's like Facebook and Instagram ads, yeah, um, build landing pages and then have the right like support systems around them. That's when, you know, the business like really blossomed. Got it. And after collecting uh, this customer base, what would you say is Tenzo's main demographic then? Yeah, this is a good question for us. Um, <clears throat> we don't really have, you know, a very specific niche customer segment. Um, that's been one of the more challenging parts about growing the business is, is actually that, you know, we've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers at this point and people like it, you know, guys and girls, from teenage years all the way up to mid sixties. Um, you know, and even if you look at our web traffic and things like that, it's like a 51, 49 split male, female, you know, there's no major age cohort. Um, I would say, you know, we skew a little bit towards a millennial in terms of um, age, but you know, gender, it's something specific, even across the country, you know, it's all the order is pretty much mapped directly to the population density of, of the order. So it's not like it's just California or just New York. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's everywhere. So I really believe much is more like coffee. Yeah. And um, over time, people are going to realize the benefits and how it makes them feel. And, you know, they're going to forego their morning coffee and replace it with matcha. What can a consumer expect then, uh, benefit-wise, when consuming Tenzo? Yeah, good question. So drinking matcha is like a calm, focused energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like you're in control, and you know it's kind of like a like you'd experience if you're like a monk. Um, 
And then um, on the health side, like I said, there's a ton of antioxidants. So it's very good for your immune system and um, it supports just overall health. And the antioxidants really spiral into a whole bunch of um, like really healthy things. So like one really simple one is that when you drink a coffee, it like builds bacteria in your mouth. When you drink a mantra, you know, there's the antioxidants will literally fight um, the bacteria in your mouth and help make your mouth really clean. So you don't get like a nasty mantra breath like you do with coffee. Interesting. So I I heard you mention kind of international sales. Are you guys selling um, both domestically and abroad currently? No, no, we we don't sell internationally yet. Okay, got um, it. Yeah, just in the U.S. But you know, kind of our three sales channels are to like cafes, so like your local cafe. Yeah. And then D 2 C on our website, and then. We also make matcha products with other brands. So we do a lot of branded partnerships uh, with very large companies, actually. Got it. So I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret, just anything. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the quick one is like, understand your cash flow model. Um, so we've almost died several times by just not understanding our cash position as well enough as we should. But I think like a, a bigger theme would be like, you know, be rigid in your goal, but fluid in, in your approach. So, you know, I had all these visions for Tenzo when we first started and, you know, a lot of things have changed, um, but the end goal has never changed and we're just on a path to getting there. So I like that little quote. Amazing. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Tenzo at tenzot.co. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.